This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. Second hour of the show, we'll be reflecting on master plans. Now, of course, we know that South Africa has seen a very long period of deindustrialization. The Department of Trade, Industry and Competition hasn't been uh, completely uh, naive to this point, and they've gone on to really spend some time uh, with sector leaders, various sectors, uh, developing these master plans. And these master plans are supposed to be transformative in nature, uh, not only uh, you know uh, from a perspective of addressing uh, you know. uh, things of the past like race and gender but also just really forging uh, together a plan uh, for where we're trying to go as a country and of course uh, there are many of these plans and I do assume that lots of them are in different parts of implementation but we thought we'd reflect on these master plans or some of them at least uh, this evening and just the intention behind them and of course we are still uh, trying to engage the DTIC trying to get some of uh, you know the sector leaders in here to speak to us about the individual plans but tonight we'll really spend uh, time unpacking uh, the intention behind master plans and whether it really is the right kind of policies uh, that we're seeing emerge and most importantly are we capable of implementing them because of course uh, South Africa's economy needs a lot of a rejigging recently in an interview with a tips uh, that's the trade and in investment uh, you know or NPO they said we need to uh, more than double the number of enterprises we have in South Africa just to be able to uh, really absorb the number of jobs we have have to date not counting the number of people who leave the education system every single year looking for employment so we really need to have these master plans uh, bring something to fruition uh, you know the kind of uh, impact that will create jobs and grow this economy so this evening uh, on our panel we do have Dean McPherson who's a portfolio committee member on the trade industry and competition uh, portfolio committee as well as Regin Gorsi who's economist and director at First Source Money good evening to you both and thank you so much for joining us. Good evening, Alutanda. Uh, fantastic. Uh, Dean, maybe we'll start. Ooh, we seem to have lost Dean. So uh, maybe, Reg, we'll start with you here. When we think about uh, these master plans, they're supposed to be action-orientated uh, policies, uh, you know, geared towards boosting jobs and developing uh, local value chains. Do we at least have the idea, you know, as a start right here? Well, yeah, the DTI has... Uh they're called DTIC, mm-hmm. as uh, <clears throat> these master plans across sectors uh, intended, obviously, to rejig these sectors to become competitive, but also producing um, as much as uh, they should. Therefore, they're being supported uh, you know, through those master plans, uh, of course, with the hope that uh, the economy uh, will eventually begin to, to, to be revitalized, employment, Going up, of course, as a consequence of production that will be going out, uh, growing out um, uh, because of these master plans. But uh, you know, the evidence doesn't seem to to, to tell us that uh, these uh, are working as they should work or as they were meant to work. Uh, then the question that arises is, what should be done? Why are they not working? And what should be that uh, should be done? to get the industry going and indeed the economy growing as it should. Um, There are quite a number of reasons, in my view, why some of these plans are not working as they should. Uh, Firstly, 
uh, you know, while obviously you can have a master plan in a particular sector, uh, you know, the, the plan has to be matched with uh, the, the, the monies that is supposed to uh, get into those plans. And, of course, the, the execution of those plans is also important. Whether they're being executed properly is questionable. But largely, in the face of a country that has austerity, the support for these plans is unlikely to be as high as it should, uh, because obviously money is being diverted to other causes uh, or being spent on debt and so on. So these plans, essentially, they do not get the lift they should be getting or ex should be expected to get. So that should be one of the reasons why uh, we, we're having some challenges. You're saying we need to double the number of enterprises that uh, should uh, not be in the economy, and we can't? Of course we can't, because uh, the SME sector, which is, the vital, which is vital for job creation, is starved of money. Um, you know, evidence from uh, the from from Stellenbosch University and across the uh, across the country says that uh, you know the the banking system uh, does not uh, offer our SMMEs sufficient uh, money for them to start their businesses. One in every twenty SMME that goes to the <laughs> these SMMEs that go to the bank, only one gets financed out of twenty. 19, do not. Now, even if you had, therefore, a master plan in whichever sector, uh, then DTI has to, has to fork out all this money itself for these 19 SMMEs that have been rejected by the bank. Therein lies the key challenge in the economy. Therefore, we can't even double the enterprises because the enterprises are not being given money by the banking system. And DTI's money is, is dependent on uh, the handouts from Treasury, and Treasury tells us there's no money in the system. So the whole circle, you know, is, is almost broken uh, as to way. So we cannot produce, we cannot enter value chains, create new value chains. The existing value chains are occupied by the major players in the market, and therein are the challenges that we face in the country. Thank you for that, Reg. I I'd like to bring you in here. You know, my introductory question here was uh, just understanding uh, these master plans and the intention behind them and whether, you know, at least putting them together, having industries and governments sit together in rooms and put together uh, these plans is a, a step in the right direction at the, at the bare minimum. Uh, thanks. I'm sorry I got cut off there no um, in, in the beginning. Look, I mean, I think the problem with master plans is they attempt to identify winners in the economy that the government wants to get behind. Um, and the converse of that is that they are then going to be losers. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think that it's government's job to be picking winners and losers in the economy and then uh, you know, deciding who they're going to support. So government's job is to create an enabling environment for business to flourish, for business to thrive. And you know, when you have persistent load shedding like we do, when we have rail and port and road infrastructure that is, um, you know, almost on the verge of collapse, you know, when you have you know, crime at the place that it is, when you have um, a weak economy that uh, does not create any demand in the system, you know, there's, there's no business or there's no industry that can survive 
in that. So, I mean, I think that that's got to be the approach of government as opposed to sort of these master plans, which look at very big sectors and, and try and, you know, throw whatever support they can towards that, because naturally you're going to be diverting support away from other industries. So I think that that's the first place, and, and, and I think that government has got it wrong on that score. The second point that I would make is that those businesses or those industries that government has chosen to get behind have not shown any real uh, you know, success stories, whether it be poultry, whether it be sugarcane, whether it be automotives. Um, or actually, maybe automotives might be the only success story because government pumps 25 billion rand a year every year into that industry in terms of incentives. So your economists would be correct that without financial support, you know, these, uh, these, these plans can't work. The government only has so much money. There are none of these master plans except the automotive sector because of the reasons that I mentioned that have actually worked. So, you know, and, and the businesses that engage in these tell me, you know, that they often turn out to be nothing more than talk shops and, you know, that their concerns are not listened to and the handbrake towards growing their businesses and their industries, you know, are not being lifted. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm very skeptical about the success or even the path of master plans. And I think that we need to get back to getting the basics of the economy right so that any business that wants to enter into the marketplace, any business, you know, that wants to grow has the opportunity to do so um, in, in that space. And I think that that's where we, where we need to get uh, behind and not trying to pick winners and losers in the economy. Thank you for that, uh, Dina. I want to just uh, move a rage, uh, you know, on the back of uh, that uh, comment there. Of course, uh, if we, uh, best case scenario, uh, we had the ports working well. We had no load shedding in South Africa. I'm wondering if the environment still would be enabling enough, uh, you know, for us to see uh, SMMEs and to see uh, master plans uh, coming to fruition or even just a reindustrialization uh, in South Africa, you know. And I, the reason I want to isolate these two issues is simply because, uh, you know, we have plans and uh, we've got the private sector joining in with government uh, to fix all of these. Uh, but of course, we still uh, would have, I, I believe, issues within our economy that would cause, uh, you know, these uh, grand plans not to come to fruition. Uh, thanks again. Um, firstly, what we should know, and which is perhaps not very well known, is that uh, industrialization is a macroeconomic phenomenon. What I mean by that is that uh, there's no way you can industrialize with a macroeconomic uh, policy regime that does not support industrialization. And South Africa's macroeconomic regime is defunct. And it's one that does not talk to industrialization at all. It is, in fact, financializing the economy as we speak now. Why? It's because they've chosen a framework that, uh, well, not really chosen, they've been, the framework from the IMF and the World Bank that has been imposed on South Africa. And they think that is the type of framework that's going to change uh, the, the economy to be one that is thriving and so That has never happened anywhere on earth and it's unlikely to happen here. But let me differ with my colleague here a, a bit violently. Though. The notion that government should simply be creating what they call an enabling environment is not only outdated, 
has never existed anywhere in the first place, where the government simply sits there and says, well, we're just creating the environment. There's no economy on earth, whether it's the U.S., whether it's the EU, whether it's East Asia, that simply sat there and said, well, here's the, here's the environment and just go and do as you please. China today is where it is because of the interventionist system of that government. Otherwise, China would have never, never been where it is today. And to say, uh, well, government should just be creating some enabling environment is dead thinking that is no longer applicable. In fact, this type of thinking comes from the sort of right-wing um, uh, you know, economies who had dominated quite greatly uh, you know, some spaces elsewhere, but it's proven wrong. Today, the U.S. has got industrial policies, which are the equivalent of the master plans, all right? UK has got, you know, industrial policy. South Africa has to have industri- a proper industrial policy, something slightly better than, uh, than, than, than the master plan. But even if you have these industrial policies, they must be supported by a regime of money creation, you know, which is now, now, now I'm talking about the macroeconomic framework, which is supportive of that. Here we don't have because we have picked up, you know, stories from the IMF and think they're going to work. So I think for us to change the setup in this country to that one of East Asia that we saw in East Asia, that we see in China, and we see all these other economies that are growing, we have to shift the gear from a regime, a fiscal regime that is supportive, a monetary policy regime, not this interest rate policy that we hear every six weeks being shouted from the Reserve Bank, that will never work. All right. You should have a monetary policy regime like that one in China, where state banks right across the system are giving money to SMME at very reduced rates. That is what is happening in Germany. Germany has got over 1,5 state-owned banks issuing 70% of money to these SMMEs. I mean, to the economy. Here we don't have. So, so. We come back to the notion that in creating the environment is the issue. No, it's not the, that can't be just the story that we should be told. We should go to targeting the sectors. Hyundai is here because the Korean government targeted those industries, heavy industries, light industries, and so on. They just don't go uh, out and say, well, anyone can do as they please. Today, economies compete, and you cannot just be competing by saying produce anything. You have to find loopholes where... We think you can target sectors that are consistent with the, your economy or consistent with what's happening elsewhere. So you have to target. You can't just you know, open the market as if markets are self-correcting. Markets are never self-correcting. Thank you for that, Reg. Do you know what I bring you here? You know, based on what Reg has just said, uh, the issue of you know a markets not being imperfect. You know, we so often speak about market failures here. And in South Africa, I guess, also because we're on this uh, transformation journey with a very young uh, democracy, would we be able to uh, just, uh, you know, create the enabling environment and the market would be able to uh, correct itself? Or as he mentions, the issue of, you know, very um, deliberate industrial policy to support, uh, you know, all businesses and, of course, uh, to then move ahead in terms of reindustrialization. You see, you know, comments when people just start saying, you know, throwing out tropes um, like right-wing, you know, policies. 
because, I mean, the truth of the matter is, you know, if you want to you know, talk about right and left, I mean, you know, every single left-leaning economy from Venezuela to, you know, any basket case economy in the, in the South America, I mean, I mean, they never work. So, you know, this idea sort of that the, you know, state must just intervene and do everything is a recipe for disaster. And that's the reason why we have the economy that we do, because the state intervenes so heavily that uh, that's the reason why Transnet doesn't work, the reason why Eskom doesn't work, the reason why every other state entity doesn't work, because the state cannot be an intervention uh, mechanism to the point that it you know, attempts to run the economy and pick winners and losers. It just it never works. It's never going to work. And to think that we can do it better is you know, a recipe for disaster, and that's why we sit in the mess that we have. So what we have to say is not, and no one has ever said that the state doesn't have a role to play in the economy. I mean, I think that that's also a lazy analysis when we, when we start talking like that. What we have always believed is that the state has got to, number one, provide a, uh, an enabling environment. And that means that the state must function correctly and properly, and the services and goods that it has to provide must be done so at the lowest possible cost and the most efficient way so that every business can compete uh, on an even footing. Number two, where there are regulatory requirements um, and needs for the state to intervene, then, uh, then they must do that through legislation and through regulatory mechanisms so that there is fairness and that there is competition. Number three, the state absolutely has a role in making finance and access to finance uh, available. But, you know, the private sector can only finance and will only finance uh, businesses that will succeed. So, you know, you know, we can say, well, you know, only one in 20 businesses get access to finance. That's the problem is because the risk appetite is so low from the private sector and new businesses, by their very nature, being new and not having the ability or the experience or the track record to, to, to scale that business is very, very risky. And so the private sector is not going to do that unless the government partners with them to, uh, to, to make those businesses bankable and to then to lower the risk uh, profile and risk appetite for the private sector. Government doesn't want to do that. They can. They have the biggest balance sheet in the country. They could easily do it. They won't do it. So those are the types of interventions and, and, and the ways that we can level the playing field, increase opportunity, um, but to have this idea that we've got to pick winners and losers and that the state must intervene to the point that it has and even do it more is just a, a, a recipe for disaster. It never worked anywhere. It hasn't worked in Cuba. It hasn't worked in Argentina. Argentina's inflation is 200%. Um, so that clearly hasn't worked. Um, in Colombia, in Ecuador, in all of these countries, where the state intervenes to the point that some people may argue for, it just doesn't work. Now, I completely disagree to say, you know, that the Reserve Bank, you know, should sort of like, you know, sort of step back. The Reserve Bank's primary policy has got to be to protect the value of the currency and then to make sure that inflation is targeted. That is the number one threat to any person's income and any person's ability to survive in South Africa. And so, you know, I often hear this idea sort of that the Reserve Bank must be more developmental. And, and again, if we go down that road, we're going to see inflation shoot up to numbers that would actually make uh, every South African's life more unbearable uh, than it is. 
But the bottom line is this, uh, is that if you have, if you're going to pick winners and losers, there will always be losers, and those losers will be more than the winners. And I think that government has to realize that if we want to industrialize South Africa, that you've got to bring in more small businesses um, into the economy. 1,600 small businesses closed last year. Um, so they don't have an opportunity to go from small to medium to large businesses. And we cannot just focus on the large macro sector. So I will agree with my colleague on that score that, you know, we need to look beyond just the macro policies of South Africa because I, I think that there is a real deficit in helping small businesses and helping medium enterprises, helping uh, in, uh, entrepreneurs. That's where we should be focusing. That's where we should be gearing government to. That's where we should be working with the private sector to get them off their feet, growing, creating jobs, and then hopefully uh, becoming industrialists over time. Um, I'd like us to also just to also then reflect on, uh, you know, the issue of um, the the private sector and private sector led interventions. Uh, but of course, we'd know that if uh, government put together a master plan, they would have private sector uh, in the room, and then uh, from there they would be they'd actually co-create these master plans. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that government uh, really puts them together in isolation, and it is an opportunity for uh, you know the private sector to also make demands of government. Uh, you know, that are sector specific, uh, you know, that wouldn't necessarily be as general as a Transnet or an ESCOM, but would, would be able to assist uh, the sectors as they need it and as they see uh, their help. And, uh, you know, earlier today, we actually spoke to the, uh, spoke to sugarcane farmers and they spoke about uh, a very successful intervention between themselves and government enabling a small scale farmers, very targeted uh, approach there. Uh, that was taken uh, for there. Um, and I'm wondering also if the if private sector is uh, really also playing their part in ensuring that as we build this economy, we we take the little guys, whether it's the smaller businesses, it's the most vulnerable uh, businesses in a sector, because South Africa does have an issue uh, as we think of building, uh, you know, our economy and reindustrialization of having really big uh, companies that overwhelm. For instance, you and I could never start a telco's company tomorrow because MTN and Vodacom would swallow us up overnight. Uh, we couldn't be able, uh, you know, to uh, start um, um, any uh, many of the businesses because there's three or four um, oligarchs that really uh, kind of uh, run those sectors. And so at some point we need to also think about that in terms of uh, re-industrializing our economy but also building the economies so we're going to go to power news when we come back i'd like to speak about that how do we make sure that there's more enterprises because that's essentially what we're trying to do here we're trying to increase the pie uh, in south africa and that means that more people uh, need to be able to play in it we're quickly going to go to headlines and we return i'd like uh, you both to please uh, comment on that it is half past seven on the dot let's head over to power news headlines where news and talk comes first we get you all the stories stimulating talk is what we do power 98.7 now we're talking it's 1932 in our power boardroom and on the line i'm joined by dean mcpherson who is a member of the portfolio committee on trade industry and competition and also reg ngosi who is economist and director at first source money reflecting on the master plans really but really looking at reindustrialization in south africa and before we went to power news headlines i wanted to find out about then if the master plans aren't the best way for us to get to this point how do we ensure that we are increasing this pie uh, you know in south africa specifically looking at a more targeted approach uh, 
uh, because what we are finding in South Africa is that the pie isn't big enough for everybody. Um, and it is, of course, uh, you know, I guess we could say natural selection at some point that the, the best businesses make it. But a more targeted approach is needed because in South Africa, because of our history, uh, you know, and uh, because our democracy is so young, we, we will find that too many people will fall by the wayside if we leave it all just to market uh, conditions. And I'm keen just to get thoughts on that. How do we become more deliberate in opening up the industry? Uh, uh, Dean, we'll start with you. Thanks. So, I mean, I mean, let me say this, that I think, you know, um, the private sector is the single biggest employer in the country. You know, we don't have a, pro- thriving, a thriving private sector. We have millions more people um, in unemployment. So we've got to get the, we've got to continue to support the private sector. We've got to continue um, to get, uh, you know, to get it growing and to get more people into employment. You know, the reason why Korea is the country it is today is not because of the state intervention into industries. It's because the state made education the single biggest priority after the Korean War um, and spent loads and loads of money on, on, on equipping schools and raising the educational system so that more children could, uh, could read, write, um, and could understand maths and science. That's how Korea became the country it is today. We need to do that. Our education system is appalling. It's one of the worst in the world. We spend, one of, we spend more per child than any other country in the world, and we still have some of the worst education outcomes with half of our children that enter into grade one not making it through to matric. So we've got to fix the education system so that we can increase the pipeline of young people that can go into university, that can get the skills um, that they need to be able to build businesses um, and to contribute uh, to the economy. We, the government has to, pri- has to partner with the private sector that we can get more people uh, into jobs. That's what the uh, government needs to do. And they also need to fix the terrible state of the economy um, in the places that they control, like SOEs um, and, uh, and regulatory measures. And I'm, I'm convinced that where those partnerships work, they are successful. We've got to push that. We've got to see more of that happening. Um, but to believe that the state needs to intervene more into the economy is a recipe for further disaster. Reg, can you get your thoughts here? Well, again, let, let me touch base on the issues of Korea and so on. Firstly, to, to, to train a person uh, in terms of education, to, for that person to become productive in the economy, it may take 20 years, you know, from grade one to a university or something like that. All right. And Korea did not have to wait 20 years. Okay. Education has to to be there, people have to be trained. But what Korea did, using the scale of skills that were present at that particular point in time, they harnessed the resources in the country. The banks were almost all state-owned banks. And they were not like the the, the system that we have in South Africa. So industrialization was a targeted affair in, in South Korea and continues to be targeted affair. Well, that's educating people as we are educating people. People were being trained as they are going along, just as we're training as we're going along, just like any other economy is training as they're going along. You don't first train people and say, then we begin to, to grow the economy. No, you don't do like that. You continue along the path, collecting all these um, trainings and you know, financing moving together at the same, at the same pace. So to, to single out education for South Korea is, quite frankly, an excuse that's given for those people who do not have a full understanding of the development um, history of South Korea. Now, also, 
there was an issue of Venezuela and so on and so forth. Again, this is you know, very selective. Venezuela, during the time of Hugo Chavez, all right, not this current president, Hugo Chavez, one of the best economies in Southern, in Southern America. Okay? However, the U.S., what it did was to intervene in that economy and break it down like it wanted to intervene in, in, in Russia because Russia differed with the U.S. All right? But the U.S. failed in Russia because Russia acted differently. Venezuela couldn't act. So we find Venezuela today because of intervention from an imperial power. So we cannot call on Venezuela. Why don't you go to China, which is a communist economy? You're talking of Cuba. Cuba has been under sanctions for over 60 years. All right? And we use it as an excuse. I mean, frankly, let's get out of that uh, rhetoric, which is so tiring for any person to use as an excuse and then compare it with South Africa. Let's compare countries that are functioning appropriately. We're saying China here has beaten any other economy on earth, but it is a communist country. Why? They're targeting industries that are consistent with modern modernity, but at the same time, they're throwing money into the SME. Let me go to, to, to Bangladesh. Uh, Bangladesh is the least developed economy, all right, worse than South Africa. But today is leaping closer to South Africa just because the Reserve Bank of Bangladesh moved away, said we're throwing away this uh, inflation targeting to ensuring that it intervenes into the economy. So what did they do? Women enterprises, um, textile enterprises, farming, and so on and so forth. The Reserve Bank there gave interest rates which are far lower than the prevailing market rates. Why? They wanted to stimulate that. They had to support these industries. And Bangladesh today is one of the most powerful economies. While the Reserve Bank was throwing money, the, the governor said, there uses the word, we took money to the ground on bullock carts. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm quoting him as he, he said. We took money to the ground on bullock carts. That's the governor of the Reserve Bank of Bangladesh. Inflation was at 15%. It came down, tumbling down to 5% when they were instead taking money to the ground. So Reserve Banks must necessarily do that. That's exactly what happened in, in, in France. That's exactly what has happened all over these countries that we admire today. Now, to tell us inflation targeting is the issue is really not to fully grasp what inflation targeting is all about. Got you. Now, yes. So, so for me, therefore, once again, the master plan, uh, well, uh, let's just use the word industrial policy in this country, must be supported by a regime, a macroeconomic regime that is sharp and talks to this economy, not dreams that come from the IMF and the World Bank and think they're going to work here. They've never worked anywhere on earth anyway. Thank you for that, Rich. We do have a call on the line, Hamlet from Pretoria, who would like to win in our conversation this evening. Hamlet, uh, please do go ahead. Yeah, no, Reggie, I agree with you fully. And I think that we need that uh, industrial policy that really speaks to the, to the current context of our, our economy. And I'll say that uh, you need, I mean, even, even just the banking sector in South Africa needs, I mean, to be reformed. 
so that it can be aligned with with that industrial policy. As at the current, you know, I mean, set up with the banks, they don't speak to industrial policy. We need a private sector that is more widened, that is more allowing of new entrants. You know, in mm-hmm. South Africa, our economy cannot grow because it's highly contracted. You've got the big four in telecommunication and banking, you know, in IT, in every sector of our economy. Open up those spaces and have 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 I mean access to market for smaller size medium enterprises. And I, I agree with Reggie that you as much as you can invest in education, there's something that can be done right now with a skill base and the requisite expertise that is there in the market already. Thank you for that, Hamlet. Rage, it's all we have time for this evening. I'd like to thank you so much for your time and insights. I think I certainly echo those thoughts. I am completely unconvinced that the market can sort itself out as is. I'm completely unconvinced that a little bit more education, a little bit more maths, and a little bit more science and electricity and uh, rail that works would fix all our problems. We, I am, I am completely uh, unconvinced. It, we just, we've, we've, we've been through the education system. Many, many uh, of people that we know still sitting at home. There is something fundamental wrong with the way in which we build our firms, the way in which we prioritize a capital in this country, both from the private sector and the public sector. And, uh, you know, to say that people just need a little bit more education is it cannot simply be, uh, you know, the, 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 the all encompassing solution that it was, because if that were the case, many economies around the world, uh, you know, would not uh, find ourselves, find themselves in the situations they find themselves now of declining, uh, you know, economies. But most importantly, South Africa would not be sitting with the high unemployment and high inequality rates that we see today. Uh, thank you so much, Arej, for your time this evening. We did lose a dean along the way. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Arej. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.